With support from the Oregon chapter of the American Planning Association, I'm Chris Damgan. And I'm Ryan Kruger. Welcome to Pints with Planners. On today's episode, we will be seeking answers to one simple question. What is a city planner? Today we've invited John Morgan to assist our efforts to describe our profession. He's spent his career in public service focusing on community development and organizational leadership in government. He is a former community development director, planning director, and yes, city manager, serving in communities across Oregon. Before we begin this episode, some background on the show format is important to share with our listeners. Pints with Planners is recorded in a live setting that captures the nuances of conversations over a pint. This includes background conversations, planes, trains, sirens, motorcycles, and more. As you listen to this podcast, imagine you are sitting with us, joining in our discussion of the global challenges we are witnessing on our street corners. Thank you for joining us for Pints with Planners, and enjoy part one of our conversation with John Morgan as we learn, what is a city planner? Been a planner in Oregon since 1974, so we're going on 43 years of professional work. Uh, in that time, I have served as a planner and as community development director and planning director of a number of cities, but I also have spent a little over half my career in private practice, serving private clients uh, for a while, uh, being the you know the zoning permit guy, but in the last uh, 15 years, I've totally focused on working with communities uh, exclusively, and it's been an incredibly successful uh, experience for me, professionally. Well, thank you for being here this mm-hmm. evening, and I know Chris and I are very happy to have you join us. Cheers. Cheers. Salute. Salute. Good plans. <laughs> it's a good plan. Good plans. Yes. Leading us off tonight, we're going to go ahead and get into a couple of icebreakers, kind of go ahead and get us loosened up, although we've already had a bit of a discussion here. But I want to go ahead and ask you, if you were going to have a theme song, a theme music, not a theme song, if you were going to have one artist uh, be the theme music for your life, who might you pick? Paul Simon. Paul Simon. Oh, that's a good one. Hugely eclectic repertoire of music, a catalog that spans incredible diversity, and a talent that's unsurpassed, and truly a poet, just an incredible poet. More than anything else, I'd say that defines my theme of my life. I would, I would absolutely support that decision. I got a chance to see Paul Simon last year. He was exceptional. Well, I saw him... Uh, 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 two nights ago in uh, in Bend, and it was incredible. Well, that's outstanding. What about you, Chris? Who might be your choice? Oh well, I mean, all my friends would would clearly know, clearly know. It's got to be Prince. It's got to be Prince. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to have this argument. I'm tired of having it. And for John's sake. Paul Simon, you know, A plus Prince, ungradable. Oh, there you go. Oh wow. Oh mercy. He's an eleven. An eleven. I won't even assign a number to him because it wouldn't be worth his stature. Mercy. 
Well, I think mine is queen. I'm gonna. I, I think I'm gonna stick with that one. But we've all got pretty strong choices here this evening. I'm mm-hmm. impressed. Mm. Now, Chris, you had a uh, question that you wanted to ask. And, and as you know, Ryan, I am a, uh, a connoisseur of the cheese. Yes, yes and, you are. Um, one thing I would love to know from John Morgan in this wonderful agricultural state that we have here in Oregon, name me your favorite cheese and why. Oh, that's easy. I'm a fifth-generation Oregonian. <laughs> what else? Tillamook medium cheddar. you got to go with that. But you don't go sharp. No, actually, I really prefer a little more mellow, laid-back medium. I really do. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We were in uh, Norway a few weeks ago in a grocery store, and sure enough, there were big bricks of Tillamook medium cheddar there. So it's an economic development answer as well as a palate-based answer. You have worked in the public sector before. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right, well, let's kick it off, John. Um, John, and for full disclosure, John was the guy who brought me to Oregon, so uh, I have a soft spot for him. I'm really excited he's with us on our initial episode. John, I think we want to get down to a very, very complex question, and it goes like this. What is a planner? Oh, jeez. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's an incredible question. I remember back in school, we'd have uh, we, uh, small classes at uh, Willamette University and we'd get these guest speakers in and talk about planning, they inevitably would come in and say one thing and we'd all laugh on cue. Planning is a process. And and it just we would wait for people to say that and then we would just howl and they had no idea what they said. But everybody said it. So, you know, I think that though it's really accurate in that we can think of ourselves as subject matter experts, we can think of ourselves as technicians or professionals or whatever, but the base thing that we are is facilitators. We are people that facilitate really good decision making within communities. That's our bottom line, is to help decision makers great make great decisions on how to create the future. Excellent, excellent response. And I think that really sets the table for what we're going to be discussing this evening one of those things that we've seen a lot of characterizations of planners in a number of different settings. One of the more popular one has been uh, NBC's Parks and Recreation television show. One of the areas that planning has really been most perhaps taken to hyperbole at this point is being called an idealistic profession. you agree with that characterization? I, I clearly believe that there are two professions in the world that are absolutely devoted to creating the future teaching and planning I mean stop and think about it, everybody else is based on kind of sustaining what's there even architects and engineers they build stuff right now we are the group that's really focused on creating the future, now is that idealistic? yeah, but also that means we're predicating our lives and all that we do on a notion of hope I mean that we inherently are an optimistic profession, we have to be or we couldn't do well and that means we have great hope for the future so I, uh, uh, are we idealistic? Sometimes. But on the other hand, we're driven by values much bigger and beyond ourselves. I can absolutely appreciate that sentiment. It's one of the reasons that I got into the field. And I think that that really speaks to a lot of the overarching goals for what we try and do day in and day out. We talk about employing professional and qualified planners. Uh, how does the community benefit from actually having those types of folks on staff? You know, 
in, in the course of my work, and I think, uh, I mean, you guys know, and I think a lot of the listeners know that I work all yeah. over the state in communities of all kinds of sizes and nature. I, I can be in a town of 1,000 one day and 100,000 the next day working on things. And one of the realities, especially in the more remote parts of the state, is there's lots and lots of incorporated communities and counties that don't have a professional staff. So I can clearly compare and contrast. And in fact, I even teach a class for small town city recorders on how to basically manage the planning function because they don't have a professional planner. They don't even have access to it. Uh, the reality is that uh, every community in the state, to a great degree, is subject to the same body of law. So therefore, they all have to respond uh, in a somewhat consistent way, deal with a, a state-mandated uh, framework for planning and, and professional framework for planning, and yet without a professional planner, it's really difficult, and they know that. Out there, people clearly know that they don't have someone to help them understand and facilitate good decisions, and, and they uh, sometimes they, I, I get the sense that they're drowning. They, they just they're overwhelmed and they're scared of it without having a professional to be there. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. Luckily, you know, a lot of communities, of course, do have professional staff or access to it. But the reality is, out of a hundred or two hundred forty-one incorporated cities in this state, uh, only about, I think. 80% are less than 10,000 population. And many of those, especially when you get much smaller, don't have professional staff. Um, there, there's no question that there is a need for professional planners. It's a respected profession. The, the work that we do is clearly understood and, and it's needed by those communities and they regret not having access to it. Uh, frankly, I think it's something that uh, we as a planning profession ought to find more ways to do a little kind of more like uh, Peace Corps work out there to, to help out the small towns uh, around because there is a real need. And I know that the OAPA, which is a sponsor of this podcast, has done some work in partnership with the American Planning Association to get some of those resources into those communities, but I know we can do more and continue to enhance those resources. And John, I think you're in a unique position too because you do work in that wide diversity of, of city shapes and sizes and, and, and throughout the state, whether it be in booming Portland metro or in, dare I say, tougher areas, economic areas along the coast and, and elsewhere in the state. Do you see a correlation as far as the respect or the belief, the true belief that planning can make a difference in a community's life? Uh, do you see that less in those, shall I say, left behind or difficult communities uh, where economic prospects and, and uh, social issues have really uh, grabbed a hold of it? No, in fact, I would I would say that there's been an amazing evolution over the last 40 years since our state planning program was conceived, which actually was closer to 50 years ago and adopted about 45 years ago where there was a point where smaller communities, and even mid-sized communities, didn't plan, didn't honor it, didn't plan well, um, and which led to a lot of urban sprawl issues and you know, ugly commercial districts and things like that. What I find now, universally around the state, is communities of all size embrace good community planning. They see the value, they want to make a difference, they've learned, they understand, they appreciate it, uh, they do get very frustrated that they have to focus on doing the planning the state requires them to do, 
instead of doing the planning that they really feel is most important for their own communities. That's a whole other topic of conversation someday. But there's a, a much greater maturity in communities statewide about them wanting to take control of their future and understanding they need to have a cohesive planning process to get there. It's the only way they can do it. And as you think about those planning processes, what might be the most identified in your mind missing component right now as far as support for those types of resources? You mentioned earlier having more planners that are here in the field going out there and doing some sort of a Peace Corps uh, you know, project, perhaps. What other, what other resource might you point to that's missing at this point to help really support those types of efforts? I, I would love to see more of a um, library of best practices, uh, a you know, place where one can go and ask a question and, and, and get model codes and you know things. Frankly, I think both the LCD and the League of Oregon Cities, Association of Oregon Counties, all could have done and should be doing a much greater job at, at being a resource library and the easily accessible, research-based, best practices-based library to provide information and, and help. not necessarily help, because obviously... Help is expensive uh, when you're talking human resources, but a lot of help can come just by having uh, materials. So the, the, the class that I teach uh, for small city halls, we give everyone access to a big library of things as simple as uh, you know, boilerplate public hearing notices and staff reports and things like that. And those communities love having that because no one's ever done that for them before and those things become pretty valuable to have. I'd sure like to see more cohesive efforts statewide just to provide that kind of library of resources. I can appreciate that type of resource. I've actually interacted with that library that you're referencing there and it's provided a lot of balance uh, to what we do here in, internally in Troutdale and also provides a lot of comparison so that we can understand and articulate through our practices that we're able to encapsulate more of what's going on in the state instead of just be a little bit myopic and really focusing on what's going on here. John, I wanted to shift gears um, because, you know, we go back to the, the central question of this episode, you know, what is a planner? Um, and I think we got a nice answer from you, but, you know, I, when we're talking about how to be successful, how to be a, a true professional who can articulate good planning practices, techniques, and, and theory, and can impact a community, what are some of those skills that a planner really should have at the community planning level uh, that you think, in your experiences, uh, best translate? A couple of things. One is... There is no singular best planner because it has to be highly adaptable, of course, for the position. A planner who's working on um, Oregon Department of Transportation planning staff is going to have a different focus and, and all, of course, than a planner that's working in uh, Lapine or something. You know, it's just it's all different in terms of how we approach those things. And people tend to migrate to the elements of the profession that uh, attract them. And that's, that's great that we have people that are environmental or transportation or uh, resources or, or economic development, whatever it might be. But I would come back to saying that there's 
core skills, and I'll add to that to say there's core wisdom that uh, I, I see consistently in the people that are, are best at the planning profession. One of the you know, aspects of core skills is this clear sense of process, understanding planning is a process, and how do you get from A to B to C, and, and, and you make those connections, and how do you help a community move efficiently and effectively through those processes, which comes down then to uh, another core skill that may be even more important, and that's just to be a, a fabulous communicator, that capability to speak well and articulately, to write well, uh, to be able to uh, translate planneries, engineering, legalese, all those arenas that we as professionals work in and, and put it in terms that the common citizen will understand and appreciate, and even perhaps more importantly, that our decision makers, planning commissioners, counselors, county commissioners will appreciate uh, to help them make really good decisions. Uh, Professor Doug Morgan at Portland State said something in a conversation sometime back, and I just I, I captured these words out of his um, out of what he said because it's so powerful. He said, "Great leaders make sense of data," which is a fascinating statement. That you're like, "What the heck does that mean?" And the reality is, that's a big part of what we do. We take this huge volume of data and we help the community and the, and, and the citizens make sense of it. And making sense of it isn't just understanding it as it is, but our role is to help people understand implications, options, strategies, and, and, and to facilitate that work and to get somewhere with that. Um, and that gets a little bit into the, the, the notion of wisdom. So I'm, 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 so I'm saying technically you need to have a solid foundation of understanding, uh, the capability to communicate really well and to translate uh, is uh, extremely important. But from a wisdom standpoint, I think one of the most important things is understanding we're not in this work for ourselves. We're in this work to help our communities be successful, and we have to do it in the context of those things that are most important to our communities, to their values, ethics, principles, laws, heritage, history. It's not us. It's about them. So taking all of these technical skills, taking these communication skills, this facilitation capability, uh, and, and applying it in ways that are consistent with what the community cares about and wants to achieve is the most remarkable thing that I think we can do. That's where the wisdom comes in to understand what we're trying to achieve. And John, you know, you, you said something right there that really struck at me because especially, and this is really for, again, the emerging professionals in the field, the folks who are just coming out of, out of college and and eager and excited to join this this field, and um, God bless them. It's it's wonderful to see them when they're when they're at that. Uh, we just recently had interviews here, and, and we, we interviewed fabulous people. Um, but you know, in, as you know, a lot of planning programs in college often kind of direct you to a best practice, and, and you know, this is what this community did, and we believe we see trends. And I wonder sometimes if we place too much emphasis on that, and not enough emphasis on respecting. As you were saying, the communities we actually work in, their biases, their histories, their actual conditions. You know, it's do we know that live work four story units are great and good, effective uh, pieces of land? Yes. Is it appropriate in a community of 2,000 people? Maybe not. What do you, how do you bridge that gap? I've long felt that academically um, our planning program, our planning schools have stressed kind of the, uh, the ideal 
Uh, you know, it's all, I mean, the word sustainable, you know, just permeates everything. Well, sustainable doesn't mean squat on the, uh, you know, when, when you're trying to deal with a, a, a potential housing development in southern Oregon or on the coast or something. You know, it's just some of those those esoteric, highfalutin concepts that are taught in planning school just don't equate. The first day that planner gets a planner one job and has to write a staff report on a partition, it makes... It, there's no connection whatsoever. Um, and that notion of community values. Now, I think we probably are doing better. I, I you know, watch the work of, uh, like, Rick Stevens down at, uh, you know, in Eugene and the planning school and, his, and, and the folks in the community planning workshop and, and things where they actually are out doing real-world work more so than it may have been 20 years ago. And, it, you know, things even beyond internships, but actual real focused work. And it's a, uh, uh, it, it's really good to see that. But, you know, there's certain pragmatic, practical skills that still aren't taught in the planning curriculums and the school of hard knocks, you know, it's the first couple of years of a person's uh, life. And I, you know, I say no one's earned their stripes until they've got to work a zoning counter and telling people how many chickens they can have in their backyard and why their neighbor gets to do what they're going to do and that kind of thing. I know for those of us that are in the field, it's exciting in some ways to think about the long-range planning, but you really don't learn what it takes to go through that whole process, and you've mentioned process here a number of times, unless you are actually learning and going and growing into these communities and then getting to see how a, you know, permit counter works right. or how you work through a land use decision. Yeah, yeah. And those are some of the simple lessons that I think we have to learn going into this field for those of us that are coming into it initially. You've talked about a lot of your experience here and you've worked a number of different jobs. For those of us that are now getting into the field, tell us maybe a little bit about what you've seen over the course of your career as far as how these jobs have changed. What are the expectations? Uh, maybe some, even some of the skill sets you've already talked about. Have those changed over time for what might make a proficient uh, planner in some of these communities? No, well, we can certainly... You know, and easily acknowledge technology makes an incredible difference for everything we do from, you know, I mean, when I started, the word email had never been invented yet, you know, <laughs> uh, much less, uh, you know, personal computers and that kind of thing. So we're uh, much more advanced technologically, which also, of course, as we know, inter- allows us to be much more interconnected. Uh, within the profession and with our communities and to do that. So I think every planner's got to have some strong sense of using technology. That's obvious uh, for all of this. But other changes, uh, there's clearly a transformation in our communities of much greater um, interrelationship and interaction between communities than there was 40 years ago. Where commute sheds, housing markets that span regions, certainly job markets that span regions, certainly uh, the the flow of capital, the flow of goods from uh, production to uh, distribution to shipping and all those things, all of that crosses jurisdictional boundaries. And and our isolation, thinking about communities and isolation, which used to be the case, you could look at a Baker City or a John Day or, you know, even in Albany and say those were fairly consistent or fairly contained whole communities. 
Well, today they are also, but they're incredibly related with the outside world. And and no matter where you go in the state, they're related to a much broader market than just Oregon. We, you know, our, our traded sector and our agricultural uh, role in the entire Pacific Rim and worldwide is more significant than it's been in the past, and every community plays into that. Having that kind of understanding and able to see those systems and work with them is part of that wisdom piece as much as the uh, uh, the knowledge piece in terms of helping a community know how to best behave and operate, make good decisions in the context of a, of a world market and universal application of everything that we do. I see that as being quite a bit different. It's a different way of thinking about the world, of what we do. Um, we clearly, in communities, are seeing much more diversity of all kinds of human experience and, and, and types, uh, you know, everything. And, and we need to be on the forefront of providing systems and means to make sure that every citizen is uh, franchised, able to access the information they want. Every citizen is invited to the table. Every citizen is welcome at the table of democracy and, and is able to make meaningful input. And uh, yeah, that certainly wasn't the case in the past. Our state can't afford to not embrace that kind of diversity at every level and of every type. We can't afford to uh, waste any brain that wants to help us make better communities. That's a a very valid point, and actually it touches on another area that we were hoping to explore with you. You know, we sit here tonight, three men from similar uh, racial backgrounds. We talk about leaving leaders in our communities, especially diverse communities. How do we remain empathetic and authentic in those interactions? Wow. On the next episode of Pints with Planners, we will bring you part two of this conversation with John Morgan. Please visit the Pints with Planners Facebook page for more information on this episode and future shows. Thank you once again for joining us for this episode of Pints with Planners. And please, as always, plan responsibly. Additional support for Pints with Planners was provided by the Oregon Chapter of the American Planning Association. PWP's theme music was written by Chris Lesane. Haley Schiller is our graphic designer. Production and editing was handled by me, your host, Ryan Kruger. The views and opinions expressed on this episode are that of our guests and your hosts, and may not necessarily reflect those of the Oregon Chapter of the American Planning Association, the City of Troutdale, or any other affiliates of this program. If you have comments or questions, please visit the Pints with Planners Facebook page, or you can send us an email at pintswithplanners at gmail.com. We look forward to having you join us next time for another episode of Pints with Planners.